On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the unofficial Tesla podcast, Elon Musk drops a lot of interesting new information about Model Y, Model 3, the minibus, and more by way of his TED Talk and the Q1 investor call. Stay tuned for the highlights. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Ride the Lightning. It is the unofficial Tesla Motors podcast, episode 92 for May 7th, 2017. I am Ryan McCaffrey, your host. I'm going to have a uh, Maggie the Boxer update for you that I'm going to save until the very, very end of the show. There's a lot of Tesla stuff to talk about, and uh, the Maggie stuff will be separate later. So uh, first of all, I did want to note, remind me never to put semi-truck in an episode title ever again. This last week's show, which I called something like Tesla teases the semi-truck, was the lowest downloaded show in months. In months. So I have to presume that, that, that there, that's the reason why. I don't know of any other reason why that would be the case. I guess people really don't care about the semi-truck, but... Uh, in any case, uh, that that's yeah, that's a risk. I, that's an experiment I'm not going to be willing to to run again. Uh, also, I could use some hotline calls. There are uh, fortunately a few ended up coming in towards the end of the week this week, which is great. And in fact, it worked out such that there's so many Elon Musk clips. There's so much to get through this week from uh, Elon's two big public appearances, his TED talk and uh, his hour and twenty minute long. Uh, Q1 investor call after the Q1 Tesla results, I have got, let's see, literally it is 26 clips, I think all of which have Elon, are either Elon or have Elon in them. So there's a lot of interesting new things that he, because of course, anytime Elon speaks, there's, there's usually something interesting. There's so much to get to this week that I'm actually not going to do the Ride the Lightning Hotline. I'm going to save it for next week. I do also have uh, for you Patreon supporters on the at the $10 or higher tier, you've got your monthly bonus extra episode coming. Uh, if it's not this weekend, it'll be next weekend for sure uh, with all of, the, all of the extra phone calls that pile up over the course of the month. But for now, I could use some new ones heading into next week. And obviously, with everything you're about to hear from Elon, there should be plenty to comment on. Uh, or or bring up questions about discussion topics, etc. So uh, do give me a call. The toll free number. Let's talk Tesla. Toll free number is one eight 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 nine eight nine eight seven five two. Or you can also email me your question in voice form. So then it's just as good as a phone call. Just record it on your smartphone. Voice memo on iPhone or uh, whatever the you know whatever file, whatever program you use, and just email me the recording. So you can do that as well. You can send that to teslapodcast at gmail.com. So uh, I wanted to start with Elon's TED Talk with Chris Anderson, the founder of the TED Talk. And here in this first clip, here's Elon talking about Tesla's success. I mean, you, you started Tesla of, of persuading the world to that electrification was the future of cars. Yes. And a few years ago, people were laughing at you. Now, but, not so much. I mean... Okay. 
Well, I mean, isn't I don't it? Know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some, but isn't it true that isn't it true that pretty much every auto manufacturer has announced serious electrification plans for the m- short to medium term future? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, um, the I, I think almost every automaker has has some electric vehicle program. They vary in seriousness. Some some are very serious about transitioning entirely to electric, um, and some are just dabbling in it. Um, And some, amazingly, are still pursuing fuel cells, but I think that won't last much longer. But isn't, isn't, there, isn't there a sense, though, Elon, where you, you, you could now just declare victory and say, you know, we did it, let, let, let the world electrify, and you go on and focus on other stuff? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I intend to stay with Tesla as, as far into the future as I can imagine. Um, and uh, there are a lot of exciting things that we have coming Uh, we've got um, obviously the Model 3 that's coming soon. Uh, we'll be unveiling the uh, Tesla semi truck. Um, and okay, maybe... well, we're going to come yeah. to this. So, okay. so, so Model 3. So it's coming. It's supposed to be coming in July-ish. Yeah, it, it's looking quite good for starting production in July. Yeah. The interesting part of that clip to me was it seems like maybe you know Elon's definition of success not necessarily the same as Chris Anderson. Chris ready to ready to say, hey, Tesla's you're. You're successful. You did it. And Elon's saying, oh, okay, maybe. You know, because, of course, Tesla's goal is not to be a profitable company. I mean, that's a, that's a side effect, a, a, an excellent side effect. But the goal is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable transport. Uh, and this next, this next clip's about autopilot. And I brought this up last week. In fact, and this, this, is, this is Elon just correcting me, <laughs> effectively, from last week. Uh, straight from the horse's mouth, Elon Musk reaffirming that the cross-country Level 5 autonomous test drive, the, the test run, still on for this year. He's, here's Elon. Um, one of the things that people are so excited about is, is the fact that it, it's, um, it's got autopilot. And um, you, you put out this video a while back showing what that, um, what that technology looked sure. like or would look like. Yeah. Um, there's obviously... Autopilot in Model S right now. Yeah. What are we seeing here? Yeah, so this is um, using only cameras and a GPS. So there's no LiDAR or radar being used here. This is just using passive optical, which is essentially what a person uses. Um, the, the whole road system is meant to be navigated with uh, passive optical or, or cameras. And so once you solve cameras uh, or vision, Uh, then autonomy is solved. If you don't solve vision, it's not solved. So that, that's why our focus is so heavily on having a, a vision neural net that's very effective for road conditions. Right. Many other people are going the LiDAR route. You, you want cameras plus radar is, is most of it. You can absolutely be superhuman with just cameras. Hmm. Like you could probably do 10 times better than humans with just, just cameras. So, so the new cars being sold right now have, have uh, eight, eight cameras in them. That, yeah. that they, they can't yet do what that showed. Um, when will they be able to? Um, I think the, we're still on track for being able to go um, cross-country from L.A. to New York by the end of the year, fully autonomous. Um, and okay, so so, so a car, by the end of the year, you're saying yeah. someone's going to sit in a Tesla without touching the steering wheel, tap in New York, mm-hmm. off it goes. Yeah. Won't have to ever touch the wheel by the end of 2017. 
Yeah, essentially, November or December of this year, we should be able to go from yeah all the way from a parking lot in California to a parking lot in New York, no controls touched at any point during the entire journey. And <laughs> amazing. Part of that is possible because you've already got a fleet of Teslas driving all these roads. You're, you're, yeah. you're accumulating a huge amount of data of that national road system. Yes, but the thing that will be interesting is that I, I, I'm, I'm actually fairly confident it will be able to do that route um, even if you change the route dynamically. Hmm. So, like it's. It's fairly easy. If you say I'm going to be really good at one specific route, that's one thing. But I, um, it should be able to go, really be very good. Certainly, once you enter a highway, to go anywhere on the highway system, in a, in a given country. Um, it's, so it's not it's not sort of limited to LA, New York. We could we could change it, and make it Seattle, Florida, hmm. that that day, or you know, in real time. So you were going from. LA to New York, now go from uh, LA to Toronto. I'd, I'd love to see it. I mean, it, that, like I said, that will be, that will make news everywhere. I mean, there is not a single outlet of any sort that's, whether a tech, whether they focus on tech, cars, general news, that will be just, that will be news everywhere. If it, when it happens, uh, hope, and it'll be, it'll be whether it's successful or not, it'll be news. It'll, especially if it's successful, it'll be news everywhere. Uh, and I suspect when I mean when it does happen, you know Tesla's going to put together. They're going to release like a highly edited, polished video of of the whole thing. That'll be really really cool to watch. In fact, I hope they're doing it kind of like documentary style. It'd be really fascinating to to see that. Uh, we know they're running around Palo Alto. We've seen some of those, te- a couple of those test videos that Tesla's released on their own, but uh, that is going to be really, really cool. And maybe that is going to happen in November or December of this year, according to Elon Musk. Now, uh, the topic of autopilot and autonomous driving fascinated Chris Anderson. And so uh, he dug into the topic with Elon further here. Elon gives an update on when we might be able to see level five and Chris Anderson asking, well, when can we just get in the car and fall asleep? So uh, here's, here's Elon Musk elaborating on that. So, so leaving aside regulation for a second, the, in terms of the technology alone, um, the, the time when someone will be able to buy one of your cars and literally just take their hands off the wheel and go to sleep and wake up and find that they've arrived, how far away is that to do that I safely? think that's about... That's about two years. The, the, so the, the, the real trick of it is not, you know, how do you make it work, say, 99.9% of the time? Because like, like, if, if a car crashes, say, one in a thousand times, then it, you're probably still not going to be comfortable falling asleep. Um, that, that's, you know, you shouldn't be, certainly. But it's never going to be perfect. No system is going to be perfect. But if you say it's perhaps... Um, it's, it, it, the, the car is unlikely to crash in a hundred lifetimes or a thousand lifetimes, then people are like, okay, wow, if I would live a thousand lives, I would still most likely never experience a crash, then that's probably okay to sleep. Maybe, I guess a big concern of yours is that people may actually get seduced too early to think that this is safe and, yeah. and that you'll have some horrible incident happen that puts things, puts things back. Well, I think that the autonomy system is likely to at least mitigate the, uh, the, the crash. 
um, except in rare circumstances. And, uh, and the, the thing to appreciate about uh, vehicle safety is this is, this is probabilistic. Right. So that there is, I mean, there's some chance that any time a human driver gets in the car that they will have an accident. That is their fault. Hmm. Um, it's, it's never zero. Um, and so, so the, the really it's, the, the key threshold for autonomy is how much better does autonomy need to be uh, than a person before you can rely on it. But once you get that hand, literally safe hands-off driving, the, the, the power to disrupt the whole industry seems massive because at that point you've spoken of people being able to buy a car, drops you off yeah. at work, and then you let it go and, and uh, provide a sort of Uber-like service to other people, earn you money, right. maybe even cover the cost of your lease of that car. Exactly. So you can kind of get a car for free. Is that, is that really likely? Yeah, I, I, absolutely this is what will happen. So there will be a shared autonomy fleet where you buy your car and you can choose to use that car exclusively. Um, you could choose to um, have it be used only by friends and family, only by uh, five-star, uh, other drivers who are rated five-star. You can choose to uh, share it sometimes, but not other times. Um, that's, that's, that's 100% what will occur. It's just a question of when. Listen to Elon very, very confident in the Tesla network there, uh, saying that's 100% what will occur. It's just a question of when. Uh, I have said before that I'm just, I'm way too anal about my cars to ever let some random stranger in it because I just don't know if they are wearing some weird article of clothing that might scratch a seat that would make me mad if they're they're a smoker and they might my car might smell like cigarettes which is un, you know no disrespect to anybody out there that's a smoker but that is an undesirable thing to me in in my car uh i don't know you know if there's somebody that's drunk and is going to get it and throw up in my car you know it's who knows so i i'm just way too anal i i am not laid back enough i admit it to allow a random stranger to use to to uh, to use my Tesla, even when they're not driving, if they're just in the back seat and the car is driving itself, I just don't even want any strangers in my car, uh, even for money, even with the car, with the car making me money. But I'll tell you, I would absolutely use it. I would let friends and family get in it and have the car drive them around. I would a hundred percent do that. So I think I'll dip my toe in and go from there when the time comes with the Tesla network. Uh, next here, you're going to hear more about the semi truck. Uh, although I guess I, I probably, again, from the top of the show, I probably shouldn't put anything about the semi truck in this podcast, judging from the number of downloads on last week's show. But here is Elon discussing, uh, the semi truck a bit, because this is where he revealed the teaser image was during this Ted talk. It came up on the screen. Uh, and here, here, uh, here he is talking about it to Chris Anderson. Yeah. Because that, that just, we can't see that much of it, but it, it doesn't look like just a little friendly neighborhood truck. It looks kind of badass. How, how, what sort of, what sort of semi is this? So this is a, a heavy-duty, long-range semi-truck. So it's like the uh, highest uh, weight capability um, and, and with long-range. Um, so, so essentially it's meant to um, alleviate the... the heavy-duty trucking loads. Um, and this is something which uh, people do not today think is possible, to think the truck doesn't have enough power or it doesn't have enough range. 
Um, and then with, this, with the Tesla Semi, we want to show that you know, an electric truck actually can out-torque uh, any diesel uh, semi. Um, and you know, if, if you had a tug-of-war competition, uh, like the Tesla Semi will, will tug the, the diesel semi uphill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. In short term, these aren't driverless. These are, they, these are going to be trucks that truck drivers want to drive. Yes. Uh, no, so uh, what will be really fun about this is you, you don't have... You have a, a flat torque RPM curve with an electric motor, uh, whereas with a diesel motor or any kind of internal combustion engine car, you've got um, a torque RPM curve that looks like a hill. Um, so, so this will be a very spry truck. Um, you, you could drive this around like a sports car. There's no gears. It's like single speed. And then here's Elon describing driving the semi. I, I went over these quotes last week. These are just the, the actual Elon Musk words. But, but it's interesting to hear sort of the... There's kind of a giddiness in his voice when you hear him talk about, about driving the, uh, the prototype Tesla semi-truck around, around the parking lot. Check this out. It's quite bizarre test driving the... the, the, the <laughs> you know, when, when, I'm, when I was driving the, uh, the, the test prototype for, the, for this truck, it's really weird because you're driving around and you're just, you're so nimble and you're in this giant truck. Wait, wait, you, you've, you've already driven a, yeah, yeah. a pr- prototype? That... I drove it around the parking lot. I was like, this is crazy. Wow. <laughs> this is not vaporware. <laughs> this is like, like wow. driving this giant truck and sort of making these mad maneuvers. And finally, from the TED Talk, here is Elon speaking about the need for more gigafactories and announcing, well, here he is saying what they might announce before the year is out in the Gigafactory department. But, I mean, one of, your, one of your core ideas, Elon, about, about what makes an exciting future is a future where we no longer feel guilty about energy. Um, how, help us picture this. I mean, how many Gigafactories, if you like, does it take to, to get us there? Uh, it's about 100, roughly. It's not 10, it's not 1,000, most likely 100. See, I, I, I kind of yeah. find this amazing. Like, you can actually picture, if, if that's right, you can picture what it would take to move the world off this vast yeah. fossil fuel thing. It's like, you're building one, cost $5 billion, maybe the next one, or whatever, 5 to $10 billion. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of cool that you can picture that, that project. And you're planning to do uh, a Tesla, or at least another two, announce another two this year. I think I will, we'll announce locations for... Somewhere between two and four gigafactories later this year. Yeah, probably four. Whoa. Okay. I can't, I can't tease, te- no more teasing from you for here. Like, where? Continent? <laughs> um, you can say no. We need to address a global market. Well, my guess here as to what gigafactory locations will get announced next... I suspect China will be one of them. Elon was just in China uh, in the last week or so. Uh, I can't imagine that was just a a a, a vacation. No, he he was certainly he was meeting with business leaders. He was meeting with a lot of people. So uh, I, I've got to figure. And, and you know, Tesla—that's such a that is just the largest potential market for Tesla to tap into that they're not already in. I mean, they're 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 trying to dip their toe in the water in China, but. You know, if they can, if they can get exemption to uh, from from the taxes, uh, if, it, if they can set up shop over there, they can sell their cars at a much more affordable rate 
or at least build them for it and thus sell them for it. And it's a much more viable operation. So I think China will be one of them. I think Western Europe is the other obvious choice. I thought about Japan, but I, I don't know. I think Japan is probably doubtful only because they have such a good relationship with Panasonic. Uh, and I know, you know, hey, things can change, relationships can change, but even on the, uh, this is actually a clip I'm not going to play you, but during the share, the uh, investor call that we're going to get to here in a minute, Elon went, went out of his way to praise Panasonic and what a wonderful partner they've been. So I don't think there's going to be a gigafactory in Japan. Uh, plus, I guess, you know, Japan's a pretty, a very geographically small country that's very dense. There might, I mean, it, he'd probably, they'd, be, they'd have a tough time even finding, a, they might have a tough time finding a location for a gigafactory. So anyway, I, I doubt Japan, but I, I'm going China and Western Europe are going to be two of them. That's, that's my guess. All right, let's move on to the uh, Q1 results. This was the investor call. So, of course, every time there are results, there's a call and there's a shareholder letter that goes out. So, just wanted to read you a couple of excerpts from the Q1 shareholder letter. Quote, preparations at our production facilities are on track to support the ramp of Model 3 production to 5,000 vehicles per week at some point in 2017. This is echoing what Tesla said before. And to 10,000 vehicles per week at some point in 2018. So again, that could be the week of December 26th, you know, that could be the last week of the year. We recently powered on our newest Schuler press line and have started the commissioning process. This will allow sufficient time to install and tune die sets ahead of volume production. Paint shop preparation has been completed and installations of our dedicated Model 3 body welding and general assembly lines are progressing well. Equipment installation is also underway for volume manufacturing of cells, modules, battery packs, and drive units at Gigafactory 1. Elsewhere in the shareholder letter, This year we plan to add nearly 100 retail, delivery, and service locations globally, representing an approximately 30% increase in facilities. These additions include the Q1 openings of our first stores in Dubai and South Korea. To significantly improve the customer experience with out-of-warranty body repairs, we intend to open the first Tesla-owned body repair shops later this year and expand the existing network of third-party Tesla-certified body shops. So that is interesting news. We had not heard that before. The Tesla's going to open up their own wholly-owned and operated body repair shops. Now, I would count on the San Francisco Bay Area and L.A., probably being first in line for this. So uh, we've talked a lot in past shows, taken calls, uh, LA, the, the Bay Area, the LA area, uh, a, lot of, a lot of problems with, with backup, you know, people just waiting for month, weeks and months for service. Uh, our friend Michael from Milbray has called in about his hood and he he finally just got things going after John McNeil took to the TMC forums and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna triple our our uh, number of shops here. We're gonna get this going." And in fact, true to his word, Michael from Milbray got himself sorted out after that. So that was great to see. And now, so th- this is gonna be really interesting. So you can actually just this is, you know, it's funny how at one point we looked 
Now, I feel like, I don't know, I hope I'm not getting, I don't think, the, I don't think you'd consider this political, but right. Is it fair to say that at one point we looked at vertical integration in this country as a, as a bad thing as like, Oh no, that's uh, we need to sort of, you know, diversify everything and vertical integration is bad. We don't want one company controlling everything, but, uh, with Tesla, Tesla has just vertically integrated everything and it's made for better products and better consumer experiences, I think, in a lot of cases. I think that's fair to say. So it's the more Tesla vertically integrates, the better se- things seem to get for Tesla fans and owners and customers. So uh, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy there, but that's it, it's it's uh, re- nevertheless, it's interesting to see. Tesla is now going to open their own body shops. So uh, that is good news for all current and future Tesla owners. Another, another chunk of the shareholder letter. They continue here saying, our new facilities are generally larger than they were in the past. For example, new service locations commonly have many more service bays, and we have tested the implementation of large delivery hubs in L.A., San Francisco, Hong Kong, and Beijing. Delivery hubs create an exciting reception for new customers and support much higher delivery levels, so we plan to expand this customer experience to more cities. This was also news to me. I have not seen any of this in the Bay Area. Uh, so I'm wondering, is it, for anybody, do I have any Bay Area uh, listeners who may have bought a car recently and and or or just been to Fremont? And I was like, is that what they're doing in Fremont now at the factory? Is it sort of like the big delivery hub outside there, or uh, even potentially inside, since there's still so much empty space in that plant? Uh, I, yeah, I I think this is this is fascinating, and it and it really, I mean, it's clearly in preparation for Model Three and the the. Uh, huge surge in volume that, that the company intends to have. So uh, hopefully that's going to be a good thing. Tesla says it is. I hope it, you still get a nice, fun, personal delivery experience and not just a, you know, uh, like a, a quick and dirty, like, okay, here, sign this and bye. I hope it's, you know, hope it's not like that. I hope there's still some element of of you know, you get a nice walkthrough. You get a you get a personal touch from a delivery specialist. I wonder how they're going to strike that balance. Finally, from the shareholder letter, uh, moving past Q2, particularly as Model Three becomes available, one of our challenges will be to eliminate. As I accidentally scrolled up on the page. Uh, one of our challenges will be to eliminate any misperception about the differences between Model S and Model 3. We have seen a belief among some that Model 3 is the newest and more advanced generation of Model S. This is not correct. Model S will always, always have more range, more acceleration, more power, more passenger cargo room, more displays, parentheses 2, meaning... No more HUD. The HUD dream is dead, folks, if you hadn't already given up on it. Uh, And more customization choices. And Model S, X, and 3 will all have equivalent autopilot functionality. So they're granting that, like, okay, well, that's going to stay, that's going to be uniform. We will continue to clearly communicate these distinctions to avoid any misperceptions. Uh, You're going to hear this again. This, This seems to be... I think Tesla is very, very worried. And I don't mean that in some like paranoid, the company's going down kind of way. I just think, I think Tesla is worried about Model 3 having a negative effect 
on Model S sales, at least in the short term. In fact, we're going to hear Elon speak directly to that here in a few minutes. So uh, that is the shareholder letter. That was the TED Talk. I'm going to take a quick break here uh, for a word from, uh, from our friends, our sponsor, and then come back with all the, there are, there are 20 clips. We got all the highlights in bite-sized, easy, easily digested form distilled for you uh, from Elon Musk on the Q1 conference call right after this. If you're like me and have a Tesla reservation, you'd probably love the chance to drive one around for more than just the short test drive that you can get from Tesla. Well, I've got a solution for you. Friend of the show, Joe Edgel, actually rents out Model S and Model X Teslas for as long as you'd like. If you happen to be taking a trip to Washington, D.C. or the Baltimore area, or if you want to drive one so badly you're willing to make a special trip, check out Joe's website, emotion.rentals. If you want, Joe will even deliver the car to you at the airport or your hotel. That's E-M-O-T-I-O-N dot rentals. Now back to the show. All right. As I said, uh, the show, we've got so much show this week, so much Elon Musk, so many great clips. We're not doing the Ride the Lightning hotline, but do keep your calls coming. Again, the toll-free number is 1-888-989-8752 or record a question on your smartphone and just email it to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. So now we go to the Q1 investor call uh, where we hear from Elon, J.B. Straubel, Deepak, John, the uh, the foursome you're going to hear from, uh, mostly Elon Musk, but some of the other executives as well. So on this first clip, here's Elon on the viability of electric vehicles in heavy industry, sort of talking about the semi-truck. Elon Musk, take it away. I'm absolutely confident that, um, that, that electric car trains will, electric vehicles will uh, occupy every segment without exception. Um, and I don't want to jump the gun on the Tesla semi-truck announcement, you know, unveiling later this year. Um, but it's, uh, I, think, I think it's going to be uh, incredible product and will uh, defy people's expectations on what an electric truck can do. Um, so I really do not see any segment of transport that will not be electric. In fact, I'm, I'm highly confident that all transport will go fully electric with the ironic exception of rockets. First of all, I love that Elon notes the ironic exception of rockets. That is That is pretty funny, but I'll tell you, if I had been on this call and they'd actually been able to go to me, which hasn't happened yet, I'll, I'll, one day, but I would love to ask Elon how long he thinks it will take for that to happen. For uh, Odds are you'd probably get a, a typically optimistic Elon answer, and believe me, honestly, I love Elon's optimistic outlook on the world. I want to make that explicitly clear, but... I'd love to know when he thinks the tipping point will be where the majority of vehicles in use in our society are electric. I hope uh, I hope I'm around to see it. I hope it's 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 that quick. You know, it's that you know, a, a small number of decades and not uh, many 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 decades. Uh, 
Uh, in the next clip here, Elon Musk referring to Model 3 trim packages and the average sales price. You know, this, this was an investor call. Uh, and sometimes you get dumb questions on the investor calls, but usually they are financially oriented questions from investors who are, who are asking uh, questions that are regarding, you know, they're using to evaluate the future sort of profitability and, and uh, the capital spending of the company. So here's Elon talking about what, what sort of the average sales price will look like with, with, uh, with the sort of average trim packages factored in. I mean, it's, it's really guesswork at this point. Um, but if it were to be comparable to, to what we see with, say, Model S or with other, what, what other vehicles in the market um, experience, it's, it's something like a 20 to 20 percent uh, increment over the range price would be the typical average. Uh, John, do you have any? Yeah, I think I think that's right, and and uh, and that's uh, you know we experience a little bit higher than that in Model S, uh, and uh, and Model S in comparison to Model Three has more range, has more power, has more cargo, et cetera, uh, and um, and we'll be introducing it to start of production. I think we'll be announcing our vehicle as we get closer to the start of production. What that vehicle, what those vehicle specs will be, but I think 20% is a is a fair fair number to use. Yeah, and actually, just to reemphasize that, I, I might repeat that a few times on the call. Um, we want to be super clear that Model 3 is not version 3 uh, of, of our car. Um, the, the Model 3 is essentially a smaller, uh, more affordable uh, uh, version of the Model S with fewer features. Um, but the Model S and the Model 3 will be at the same level of technology. Um, and if you were to want, if you were to put a version on, say what I would say, we're probably uh, on version four of Model S, um, and Model Three will also be uh, on version four. Um, you know, if you think of like the essentially the first when Model S first came out, just rear-wheel drive, and then we had uh, dual motor, all-wheel drive, we had uh, Initial hardware one autopilot, and then hardware two autopilot, um, and, and and there was uh, a, a facial refresh. Um, there have been a, roughly four versions of of Model S, and we're on the we're on the fourth version. Model three will be also version four. It's a little confusing because uh, one's a, a, a letter and the other is a number. Um, and um, but Model three was uh, supposed to be called the Model E. Um, but then Ford came to sue us, um, and, and then I thought we were being all clever by uh, calling it the Model 3, uh, but actually the joke's on me uh, because it caused confusion in uh, the marketplace. So um, that we're doing our best to clear up that confusion so that people do not think that Model 3 is somehow superior to Model S. Actually, Model S will be better than Model 3, as it should be, because it's a more expensive car. Okay, good. Yes, very clear. Thanks very much. We're going to be a bit of a, you know, a broken record on this, on, on this front, and, and, and it, the, the messaging might get a little annoying, but we really have to be emphatic uh, to clear up uh, an error which, for which I take full responsibility. Um, 
in 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 in, uh, in naming something that inherently would would cause confusion in monthly. So you got the answer of of uh, they're expecting the average sale price being about twenty to thirty percent over the base price of the car, but then you heard a, the long rant about how the S is better than the three and the whole story of how he regrets calling it the three, how it was originally model E expect. We, this is the second time we've heard Elon talk about this on this week's show because he said it in the Ted talk too, or, and he said, or he said it in the, uh, rather in the, it was in the shareholder letter, expect to hear a lot more of this in the coming weeks and months. They, they said so as, as much on the call. They were like, we're going to continue to harp on this. They're they're really trying to get out in front of it, and I don't blame them. And again, to to if I wish I'd gotten the chance, I would love to ask Elon if he wished in hindsight that he'd fought Ford for the Model E name. You know, I mean, I know at the time this because this was a few what two three years ago. Back at that time, Tesla was in nowhere near as strong of a position as they were now. I mean, the success was by no means certain or assured or uh, even likely back then. It was like the, the S was a hit, but like it was like, well, we'll see what happens next. You know, things are very different with Tesla now. But I, want, I would love to ask Elon if, if, he wishes, if, if he wishes he'd have fought harder for Model E or just chosen another letter altogether instead of the number, but Model 3 it is, and we're going to be hearing Tesla talk about how it's that means it's not better than the S. We're going to hear that story quite a lot in the coming weeks and months. Our next clip here, you get Deepak, John McNeil, and Elon uh, discussing the very interesting upgrade to the service loaner fleet. So if you are an existing Tesla owner, here's some good news for you. Yeah, um, Deepak, a couple of questions that you had. Uh, firstly, just to clarify, our finished vehicle inventory only increased very slightly um, uh, from end of Q4 to end of Q1. Um, and, um, uh, the, um, and we are using some of that in different ways, and John can explain that further. Uh, and also to your other question on customer deposits, um, what I'm seeing is that we had an artificial backlog uh, in our customer deposits of Model Xs, and as our production of Model Xs is stabilized and as our mix of Model Xs increased relative to S, we have cleared that. So it's, it's, it's uh, nothing unusual from what I'm seeing there. And, John, you want to add on the... That's right. The, the increase in inventory is about uh, split in two. One is uh, we increased Model X test drive vehicles by about 1,000 uh, over the past quarter. We had prioritized deliveries. Uh, uh, as we ramped up Model X production um, and prioritized getting cars to customers first uh, into our stores second. Uh, our stores have finally gotten their test drive fleets, uh, and uh, that's, that's what you see in terms of the half of the unit volume increase. The second half is in our service loaners. Uh, so as our installed fleet has gone up, we, need, uh, we, we wanted to make sure that our owners were getting a service loaner um, and uh, so we've, we'll continually increase that, and you'll see that uh, over time. Um, that's not a one-time event. You'll see as, you know, as we continue to deliver this level of cars per quarter, 
that we will uh, increase the service loaner fleet uh, uh, proportionally so that we've, uh, we've got the ability to offer a Tesla to our customers. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> in fact, <clears throat> this will take us you know, a few months to, to fully deploy, but um, uh, our policy for service loaners is that the service loaner fleet will be the very best version of a Tesla that uh, is available. So if you have a, a, a Model X that comes in for service, uh, the service loaner you will get will, will, will be the absolute fully loaded state-of-the-art uh, P100D ludicrous um, best Model X that we have. Uh, the same for the Model S. Um, so uh, it'll be kind of thing where you, you hope you, the service takes a long time uh, because <laughs> you, you have the absolute uh, top-of-the-line Tesla as a service loaner. You know, they did this back, uh, they've done, this has been the policy for a while. Uh, they've, they've, where they previously they'd said, oh yeah, every, it's going to be the top of the line car. They, like when the P85D first hit, there were P85D service loaner cars. And it's just a great way. It's not only, not only will it help you sell cars because your existing owners might be tempted to upgrade, but if you, let's say you're driving a Model S 60 and you get now a P100D loaner. Maybe you can't afford a P100D yourself or you're not just you're, you're just not going to you're not going to make that upgrade yourself. But what you're going to do almost certainly if you have a P100D ludicrous loaner car, you're going to give all your friends and family rides in that car and you're going to be doing launches and you're going to be having fun and what that's going to do that's marketing. That's that's free marketing for Tesla. You're going to give your coworkers rides. You're gonna, everybody's going to be that's going to be a thing that that you show to everyone, and everyone's going to walk away from it smiling, if if not perhaps nauseous from the launch. But ev- that is that spreads the word. I mean, that's what the people, and that's what'll get that'll get those like the, the, that coworker that you sh- you sh- you show the car to. Is gonna then be like, hmm, the te- oh, man, I'm gonna look more into these Tesla. Hey, Model Three, wait, ooh, that starts okay. That starts at 35. I mean, that's it's brilliant. It's a great move on Tesla's part. And again, it's not new, but the fact that they're sort of doubling down on it, reinforcing it with the P100Ds, I think, is fantastic. Uh, here is Elon saying, uh, I ta- I referenced this earlier in the show. This is Elon saying that they did in fact see. Orders on Model S go down a little bit because of confusion over the Model Three. No, no, I, we have seen some impact of uh, Model S orders uh, as a function of people being confused that Model Three is the upgrade to Model S. Now we took action to correct that about a month ago, um, uh, but that that message is not filtered down to all of our customers. So um, there's a lot of people who who um, are under the impression that Model 3 is the upgrade to, from Model S. Uh, but in fact, if they want to upgrade, it's just by the latest Model S. Um, that's the actual upgrade path. Not, uh, you know, be like say, thinking that the upgrade path from a, um, you know, an Audi A6 is an Audi A4. It's, it's you know, it's not. Uh, so, um, yeah, so it's just a question of, of correcting that uh, misperception, um, which I'm, I'm confident we'll be able to do in, in, in the uh, 
the next several weeks. I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that other than I think it's great to hear Elon just be honest and say it. I don't think a lot of executives would admit something like that because it would make them look, you know, potentially weak or wrong. Or, I mean, yeah, I just, I just, uh, I tip of the hat to Elon for just being honest about that. All right, in this clip, Elon gives an update on the Model 3 production line. We got a little bit of this in the shareholder letter, but listen to what he says about about, uh, comparing the Model 3 production line to to every other automotive production line on the planet. Yeah, so with with Model 3, uh, I think we'll be roughly comparable with the best uh, high-volume vehicle production lines in the world. Um, Better in some respects, a little worse than others, but roughly comparable. Um, And then with some further iteration, I think it will probably be a little bit better than than the next best automotive production line. Um, Then where things will really uh, be a a step change, uh, I think beyond any other auto manufacturer will be the the Model Y factory. and this is both a function of designing the of designing the product to be easy to manufacture and easy to automate, um, as well as designing the the factory itself. Um, so, Model Y is, I think, where where it really becomes a step change. But Model Three is going to be at or probably slightly better than I think the next best automotive world. Just you know, I think that that's a pretty good outcome. Um, and, and then Model Y will be, there'll be nothing close to it, I think. Um, yeah. Got it. Maybe, um, maybe just to add, as a relative benchmark, you know, against the S and the X, um, you yeah. know, Model 3 is, is vastly more automated. And, you know, perhaps that's not the best benchmark to use looking forward, but, um, you know, it's perhaps, you know, three to four times, you know, more automated than an S or an X and much, much simpler to build. Is that one-fifth of the hours per car? Yep. So it's, it's five times the volume, but the, the same hours per car. Now you hear, you hear out of nowhere, just out of nowhere, he, he, he brings Model Y into the equation, saying that Model Y is going to blow the Model 3 away from a manufacturing perspective. He says Model Y will be the step change, and that Model 3 manufacturing compared to S and X it's five times the number of cars for the same amount of hours put in per car. That's, that's incredible. Now, what this tells me, there, there could be such a drastic difference between the Y and the 3. That tells me that the meat of the design work on the Y probably started well after the 3. They may have had ideas, they may have had sketches... But if the Y is going to be that much more efficient to produce, it's because it's been drawn up that way. It has to be. So I, I've got to figure that the Model Y wasn't really kicked into full swing on the design side until Elon's big whole machine that makes the machine epiphany that we saw from him shortly after the Model 3 unveil a little over a year ago, back when you know, pre-orders, of course, you all know the story, you're all part of the story, when pre-orders just exploded past even Tesla and Elon's wildest expectations, and it made Elon Musk rethink the whole idea of production 
and manufacturing. So I really think yeah, Model Y has, I, I think the serious work, the, the real design work on that car clearly has, has only started in the last year. Um, now, as for when that car is coming, stay tuned. Elon does speak to that. But first, here's Elon on the challenges of starting up production on Model 3. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the trick with uh, when you've got a, a, whole, a whole new product and a whole new factory is um, trying to predict exactly what the what what that initial S curve looks, the initial portion of the S curve looks like. is extremely difficult. Um, it, it, inevitably, the production starts off uh, slowly, and then you gradually eliminate the constraints, uh, and 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 um, eventually it, it it starts taking off exponentially. Um, but because of that sort of initial slow, slow ramp that then grows exponentially, a small change in where that lands in a quarter can have quite a big impact on total volume. Um, it's a lot easier to predict where the the, up, the upper flat portion of the S-curve is likely to be, but predicting the rapidly changing portions of the S-curve is, S -curve is just, I think, not with in the ability of anyone to predict with accuracy. In other words, no promises, people. That's pretty much what Elon is saying, which is, again, honest and accurate. And that's one reason that I really respect and even admire Elon Musk is that honesty. You know, I'm a, I'm a big honesty is the best policy kind of guy. That's just the kind of person I am. I prefer to be honest. I find that it suits me well in my personal life and in my professional life. And I, I just appreciate when someone is honest and Elon Musk to date has been a very honest guy when it comes to, well, everything, but when it comes to, to Tesla, he's been honest about stuff. You're going to hear him later talk about the hubris of model X that, so that'll come up. So uh, now though, now let's hear, he just drops, he just drops this uh, release date for model Y. So I'll bet you want to hear it. So here it is. Yeah, um, I do. I think we need to come out with the Model Y um, sometime in 2020 um, or aspirationally late 2019. Um, and then I think that, uh, that a million units is quite likely combined, yeah. M probably maybe more. So there you go. He says that the car, the Y, would need to drop in uh aspirationally late not late 2019 or 2020 in order to reach Tesla's goal stated goal of 1 million cars uh, manufactured and sold per year now I think I'd previously predicted 2020 for Model Y I think but it doesn't matter now it's official or at least we have something official to go on because Elon Musk is as official as it gets now uh, some of you may be trying to decide between the three and the Y. In fact, I've heard that we've gotten calls. I've gotten calls from some of you folks about that over the last number of months. So hopefully this timeline now that Elon has laid out will help you make your decision. I really, really hope so. And I, again, going back to my theme here of, oh, I wish I, if I could ask these follow-up questions, I'd like to ask Elon if the Y is still planned to have Falcon Wing doors. This is a topic I've addressed on the podcast before. I, I, am, I am now in the camp of I don't think the Y is going to have Falcon Wings. Not with this huge focus on manufacturing efficiency. In fact, especially just this new information this week where the, the Y has so much less uh, 
the wiring harness is so much shorter and the it's going to be the step change of manufacturing. I don't think a car that is manufactured with that kind of autonomy and that kind of speed can or will have a complicated door setup. So, uh, again, despite the fact that Elon had previously tweeted that the Y was going to have Falcon wings, again, I think the Y went back to the drawing board after the three reveal when they rethought the whole production and manufacturing setup. So uh, count me in the camp. Now, believe me, I, I want the Y to have Falcon wings because I'm a former DeLorean owner. I love going doors. I think they're great. I wish I had an X, partly for that reason. But uh, count me in the camp now. I don't think the Y is going to have Falcon wings. But uh, I, I will say, though, I, I'm gonna, I might get a shot to, take, to try and get that question answered because of the upcoming uh, factory tour with the Franz von Holzhausen Q&A that Michael from Milbray is taking me along with him to uh, from the referral program prize. And who better to ask a design question to, like Falcon Wing Doors on the Model Y, Franz is the perfect guy to ask. So if I get a chance, I'm going to have a list of questions. I told you last week. So uh, that question will be on my list. We'll see if I get to ask it. And if I do, we'll see if he answers it. I mean, I figure it's 50-50 because I don't know if Franz is very open and honest the way Elon is or if he's a very buttoned up kind of on-message PR-trained kind of guy. And I'm not saying that necessarily in a, in a derogatory bad way. But, you know, some some corporate people will never stray off message and they're going to... They're going to stick to their script. And uh, I, I just haven't seen, we rarely see interviews with Franz, particularly live ones, like how Elon, like what Elon's doing on these calls uh, or at like the shareholders meetings. So, uh, you know, I have no idea how, you know, how open to questions Franz is going to be, but I'm sure as heck gonna, I'm looking forward to finding out. Uh, on this next clip, Elon talking about uh, interior design and whether level five autonomy, whether self-driving will will radically change interior design. Now, this is not, don't think of this, he's not talking about the Model 3 dashboard. This is a question about, about the actual thinking of how the interior of a car is if you're not going to be manually driving it yourself. So here's Elon speaking to that. Um, I, I don't, I don't think the, we're going to see a dramatic change in interior design. Um, there may be, you know, an option where that you have club seating instead of um, everyone facing forward, but uh, I wouldn't call that radical. Yeah. Just turn the seats around. Um, okay. And I'm not sure how much people will actually want to do that. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the, the, the sensor hardware um, and compute power for, required for uh, at least level four, front level five uh, autonomy has been in, in, in every Tesla produced since October last year approximately. Um, so it's a matter of upgrading the software, uh, and, um, and, and, and we can achieve level five. The, 
uh, and, and if, if it does turn out that we need to upgrade the compute power, um, it's designed to be easy to upgrade. I can basically access it through the glove box and find um, a more powerful computer. So um, we don't think it will be, but if it is, that's pretty easy to do. Um, so the important thing to, to appreciate is that the, the sensor hardware um, and, and wiring harness it's necessary for full autonomy, which uh, you know, essentially having the eight cameras, the radar, and the ultrasonics, uh, that's in place. Um, so the, 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 when each passing release, the, the car's uh, autonomy level will improve. Um, you know, we had a bit of a dip, obviously, because of the um, unexpectedly rapid transition away from Ovali, uh, where you know, we'd expected to have the Mobileye chip on the board as a transition, but um, Mobileye refused to allow that, so then we had to basically recreate all the Mobileye functionality in about six months, which we did. So what I want to know about this is if if the compute power is, is designed to be easy to upgrade, if it's uh, ac- accessible through the glove box, and it's, it's good to go right now, but they might need more computing power, so they might need to upgrade it. Here's what I want to know. If a Tesla customer pays the full $8,000 today for full self-driving capability, are, is that customer going to get a free CPU upgrade if that processor ends up needing to be upgraded in order for level 5 autonomy functionality? As I should sure hope so. Because that's what they're selling now on their website. Is here's the this is the hardware you need for level five. So, should more computing power be required, I sure as heck hope that they're going to retrofit all of the existing cars. Uh, and I wonder, I also wonder what that's going to mean for Model Three. Is Model Three going to get the same CPU uh, that Nvidia CPU that's in the cars now, the S's and X's now? Uh, or will they start loading a new one into the 3? Of course, the 3 isn't going to get anything that the S and X doesn't have, so are they going to upgrade all the cars, including the 3, this summer, or are we going to be looking at possible retrofits for the for some of the for the some of 3s? I don't know. That That's going to be a very, very interesting thing to keep an eye on. But at least they thought ahead and made it easily upgradable. Here we go. Another uh, one more Model Y comment. Uh, this is Elon being asked, will Model Y be built on the Model 3 platform or its own platform? It will be, yeah. Different platform. Uh, I mean, I, I, think okay. I, one, uh, one, I think I could give this example before. Um, the, uh, it's just one example, but the wiring harness on Model S is um, about three kilometers in length. The wiring harness on Model 3 is one and a half kilometers in length. The wiring harness on Model Y will be 100 meters. And that's a redundant okay. uh, wire, wiring harness. It's not really a wiring harness. It's basically a um, flex harness with a high high data rate bus. So, so you can put everything on a, on a higher data rate bus that isn't you know, a CAN bus where you, your data rate is massively constrained. Um, and we'll also make changes to the vestigial uh, voltage, so not everything's 12 volts, which is a 
pretty absurd number, really. It's wrong for everything. All right, so there you go. Short and sweet. It is his. It will be Model Y will get its own platform. It will not be based right off of the Model 3 platform. Thus, I would expect it to be a bit larger, probably a touch longer and a touch wider than the Model 3, uh, which will probably bring the Y closer to S size. Of course, the X is bigger than the S. It's longer and wider than the S is. So, uh, there, that's probably, that could very well be at least how, how it shakes out as far as the, 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 the physical pecking order of, of the sexy S3XY Tesla lineup. Uh, this one, this one is for, I pulled this clip because I imagine there may be some of you out there who maybe have a small bit of Tesla stock and maybe you're planning to fund your Model 3 purchase with it or fund some amount with it. Here's Elon on Tesla's market cap and their valuation and, and what the future may hold there. Now, I mean, I want to preface this by, of course, this I could be completely delusional, um, but uh, I think I see a clear path to that outcome. Okay, and anything else in terms of other businesses or volume or still pretty much on that track? The, the set of steps necessary to achieve that outcome um, seem pretty obvious. Uh, and, and, and heavily involved Tesla um, getting incredibly good at the machine that builds the machine. Um, uh, which involves, by the way, a tremendous amount of software. Like this is it's not just a bunch of robots that are sitting there. It's, a, it's the programming of the robots and how they interact. and um, It's far more complex than the software in the car. Um, I mean, I think this is just going to be a very difficult thing for other manufacturers to copy. Uh, I would not know what to do if I were in that position. So yeah, if uh, if you do have some stock, some Tesla stock that maybe you are planning on selling to fund or help fund your Model Three purchase, Elon Musk is really trying to make you think twice about doing that, suggesting that they are that they have a clear path to Tesla being a seven hundred billion dollar company as opposed to the what fifty billion dollar company they are now. So um, I guess everybody will make their own financial decision that's, that works best for them. But uh, that is that is food for thought right there for, uh, for investors, for sure. Here is Elon speaking on why Tesla is doing the semi-truck before the pickup truck, which is, it's just a, a very good question to ask him. And listen to his answer. They're not going to be that widely separated in time. Um, and um, yeah, part of it is we do, we do want to show that, that, that um, an electric, that electric transport can do even the most heavy-duty thing, uh, things in the world. So it's, I think it's pretty obvious we could do a pickup truck, um, but it's not obvious to a lot of people that you could um, heavy-duty semi, and so just 
being able to kind of hit the corners of the box of uh, of capability. Um, it's, it's it's a helpful thing to do. Um, yeah. Maybe a relating okay. point, but a disproportionate amount of the petroleum is actually burned by a small number of trucks. Yeah, exactly. Just because of the, the high utilization, the high miles per vehicle, and you know, they, they really lend themselves, I think, well to, to electrification. Yeah, exactly. Um, every every semi, I mean, it's probably ten times as much um, hydrocarbon saved for a semi as for a pickup truck. See, this is interesting. To me, it seems like Elon likes the challenge of doing the harder thing because he calls the pickup, quote, obvious. He says it's the obvious thing. So I think he just likes, you know, he's such a brilliant guy. I think he likes the challenge. He said he wants to prove that electric can work in, you know, heavy duty applications. So there you go. That's why that's why the next reveal isn't the pickup truck or the Model Y, but in fact... The semi-truck. Next clip here. This is clip 12. If you're keeping score at home, uh, we're going to go up to clip 20. Here's Elon on what's left on the Model 3 to-do list and if we can expect any significant changes between now and production. I'm, we're not really seeing any, any significant changes that need to occur with Model 3. Uh, it's Coming in as expected, um, as the designs and simulations predicted, it's um, pretty, you know, pretty close to the bullseye. Um, and I'm not aware of anything that would affect our prior statements about the volume target. And so there's nothing outstanding, you know, vis-a-vis -vis tooling deliveries or, or things like that that you're still viewing as a critical item um, with some uncertainty? Well, there's plenty of things with uncertainty, but I, I don't know anything that would prevent some um, sign production in, in July and, um, you know, and uh, exceeding 5,000 years a week by the end of the year. Okay, great. I mean, um, there, there may be something that crops up, but I just don't know of, of what that mm -hmm. is today. I know there's no new information in that clip, but uh, the reason I wanted to play it is because it is yet more reassurance that everything is on track. And now I and I've said this a bunch of times over on many shows, but I but it's it's again, it's every time we get the official word that everything is still on track, more days have come off the calendar and we're closer and closer to production, which means the odds of things being on time go up and up and up and your and your car and my car get closer and closer and closer to being a real thing in our garages. So it's just, it's just great to hear the, uh, the reassurance that, and get that good sign. And here was yet another one. Uh, Elon was asked about the production workload that the Fremont factory, the Tesla factory in Fremont can handle. Uh, and this is, and here he's talking about uh, how the Model 3 fits in supply or manufacturing wise and about the mistakes learned from the model x but yeah that all of that production is intended to be um out of the uh, gigafactory one um and fremont so uh yeah we um we believe that that can all be handled here um but as far as specific constraints on model three i i, I, just, I just don't know of anything that that really stands out 
Um, we've gone to great pains with the Model 3 to uh, design it for, for manufacturing um, and to uh, not have um, you know, all sorts of bells and whistles and, and special features. Um, that, like for example, like with X, X became kind of like a technology bandwagon um, of, of every cool thing you could imagine um, all at once. <laughs> like everything all at once. That's a, that is a terrible strategy. <laughs> you really want to, you know, start off simple and then add things over time. Um, uh, but that was, uh, you know, so, some hubris uh, and real low confidence there. Um, so, so with with Model Three, it's the opposite. We're designed to be easy to make. Um, we've got. Uh, I think a much better supply chain in place where we've got the A team from the A suppliers. Uh, we didn't have that for the Model X or the S. And um, as far as we know, there are no issues. So that strategy appears to be paying off, but, but there, there could be something that we've missed that we just don't know about right now. So we've heard Elon own up to that before. So the question is, what does this mean for Model 3? And again, Tesla has straight up said, expect fewer options. So I'm thinking fewer wheel options. The, the default wheels are probably the ones we've seen pictures of. Those are probably 18s, maybe 17s, but probably 18s. I'm guessing that's going to be the only wheel option for 18 inch. And uh, I wonder if we are going to get more than one 20 inch wheel option, at least out of the gate, at least at launch, because you remember that Tesla showed three 20-inch wheels, uh, three varieties at the reveal event, each of those three cars, the rolling mule and then the two pro alpha working alpha prototypes, they each had a different 20-inch wheel. There was the, the turbine on the rolling red mule, there was the uh, sort of sportier turbine on the silver car, which is does appear to be going into production. We've seen that on uh, many of the release candidate cars. And there was the the black, the arrow wheel uh, that was on the matte black car. So I suspect there we might not see that arrow wheel either ever or at least right at launch. So that that's my guess on that. Uh, but... At least for those of you out there who do have Model Xs today, you learned from that Elon Musk story that uh, you can rest assured, you can sleep well at night knowing that other than Hardware 1 versus Hardware 2, if you've got a Hardware 1X, your, your Model X will not be left in the dust by a future Model X anytime soon, at least fr from, a, from a tech perspective, tech-wise because they packed in all the tech goodies out of the gate, which Elon Musk openly says he regrets because of the manufacturing difficulties it caused, obviously. Here, uh, Elon sharing a very interesting note about the Tesla semi-truck. I promise this is the last semi thing. <laughs> but listen to what the semi is mostly made out of. No, we manufactured that ourselves, and... Um most of that semi is actually made out of Model 3 parts, by the way. It's, um, uh, Model 3 is actually using a bunch of Model 3 motors. Um, 
uh, revealing too much about the future of it, but um, so we're able to use a very high volume vehicle uh, and, uh, and and then combine several motors to have something that I think is actually going to have a very good gross margin. Like it's um, that's just not something that any that other you know it's like you can't do that with like a traditional truck. So effectively, allows us to have um, a very compelling product uh, that that has a low unit cost. Yeah, the, the incremental complexity of building that is, is much less than it might seem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because of all the re reuse that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So that's interesting. It combines several Model 3 motors, which I tell you, that's super smart. Use the thing that you can produce in volume cheaply and just, you know, link them together as, as an electric drivetrain allows. And there you go. You've got a very cost-effective semi-truck. Now, of course, batteries are still the thing that costs the most in an electric vehicle, especially, uh, you know, when you, you need so many batteries in a semi-truck. The thing's going to need a ton of them. But clearly, Elon is confident that it's still going to end up being a more attractive cost proposition to semi-truck buyers, to, you know, corporate fleet semi-truck buyers. So... Uh, September will be interesting to see what the heck that semi truck can do. You know, what, what's it? I think, I mean, the big thing I want to know, since of course I won't be owning one or driving one, I'm just kind of curious, uh, what's the range and how will it charge? You know, will they bring back the, uh, the battery swap stations for the semi trucks or will they find some way to supercharge those things? in a relatively short amount of time. That's going to be interesting to see. On this next clip, uh, John McNeil, the service lead, and Elon Musk talk about uh, whether or not used Model S's, pre-owned S's, are attracting new people to the brand. I think it's still early days. There's still relatively low numbers, but the indication is, is, that, uh, is that we're introducing a new customer uh, to Tesla at uh, at those lower price points. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Um, the demand actually increases ex really exponentially as as price drops. Um, the you know one point when we looked at it, I, I, don't, I think we were looking at the right numbers, but but, but the demand at the at, at the Model Three price point um, appeared to be somewhere between thirty and. 70 times higher than at the Model S price point. Well, I mean, you look at it, like, so there's 100,000 premiums that I'm sold in the U.S. every year. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're about a third of that. Um, and, uh, but there are 17 million vehicles in total sold. So premium sedans are like nothing, less than 1% of the market. Mm-hmm. Half a percent. I so a seven-series customer for your your brand new, and a five-series customer for your sort of used is maybe the right way to think about it. Is that fair? Or a three-series customer for the used as well. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Well, thank you so much for the question. Taking the questions. Yep. Yeah, but it, it is interesting to consider the the, the magnitude of the, this is really maybe underappreciated. Like the just consider 17 million cars and light and trucks sold in the U.S. per year, of which only a hundred thousand are premium sedans. And, and we have a one-third market share. 
if we can replicate that in other segments, but yeah, the, the results are obvious. So Elon firing a warning shot across the bow. Not really. <laughs> Not really. But, but what he is saying, he's saying, look, uh, look what we've done in its tiny sliver corner of the market. Model 3 and Model Y are going to have 30 to 70 times the demand because of their lower price points. So he's saying that, hey, 3 and Y are gonna are coming to, to completely disrupt the whole ocean rather than just rip, make some ripples on a lake. That's, that's, I think, what he's saying right there. And I think that's, uh, uh, that is always take careful note. of <laughs> Never doubt Elon Musk, as I, as I like to say. Uh, here now is a clip. This is Elon asked if he, he's been asked this a bunch of times, and I play it every time because the answer reassures me every time. And this is Elon Musk talking about his commitment to staying at Tesla. Uh, well, I want to be super clear. I intend to be actively involved with Tesla uh, for the rest of my life, you know, uh, hopefully stopping before I get, you know, um, yeah, or too crazy. Um, I don't know. Um, but, but essentially for, you know, for as long as I can, Positively contribute to Tesla. I intend to be to have a significant involvement with Tesla. Um, uh, you know, but that doesn't mean I, I should be CEO of it. It's like, you know, uh, I think my main uh, the, the most valuable thing I can contribute is, is kind of product design and technology. Uh, but that's my forte. That's what I like doing, um, and um, yes, that's that's what I would imagine doing in, in the sort of very long term. Again, he could say this a million times, and I will be comforted by it every single time. Uh, as long as Elon Musk is in charge, is the CEO of Tesla, I will be extraordinarily confident as both a a customer and as a fan of what the company stands for and what they are actually making. I will, I will almost certainly be a Tesla customer as long as Elon Musk is running the show and continues to be an open, honest, admirable guy. That's just me. You know, some people, some people don't care about that stuff and they just want a good car and there's nothing wrong with that. But, and that certainly matters to me too. You know, I'm not made of money. I can't just Say well, uh, sure, I'll take a uh, uh, give me give me whatever, but you know, give me the most expensive thing you got. But I, I just appreciate that stuff, and I'm I'm glad to hear that Elon will be sticking around for the long foreseeable future. Now, this next clip here is a long one. It's about seven minutes long. I want to warn you up front, but it's worth listening to the whole thing. So this is Elon talking about. He was asked about the $7,500 tax break. He was actually specifically asked, where are they now uh, on the $200,000? Like, are they close to the $200,000 mark as far as cars uh, sold in the United States? Because that's when, that's when the, the death watch begins for the, the full tax credit. It starts to, you know, the It'll stay good for a couple quarters, then it tapers and tapers before it goes away. 
So just listen to him. To, and, he, and he talks about the bolt in here. Uh, he, he, he again maintains uh, that he, do, he does not think the bolt will, will be made in high volume. And he explains why. So this is, a, this is a really long clip, but I think one very much worth listening to. So here's Elon Musk for seven minutes. I think most people are going to be able to get it um, that have put down a deposit. Um, uh, you know, and, and it does it, 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 Yeah, it, it, it sort of the, the, the credit rolls off. Uh, it just, it, it's not like a complete cliff. It rolls off over time. Um, and we, we are um, prioritizing uh, U.S. production, which also helps us to keep things simple. So it's, it's, we're, not, we're not making many versions of the car from many different countries. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I think provided somebody's, you know, I, I don't know, my, my guess is probably most people down a deposit would be, would be able to get the full tax credit. Um, yeah, is there a way you could just give us what the cumulative numbers thus far in the U.S., you know, quarter to date, or sorry, uh, uh, inception to date? Uh, no. If, 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 if we do that, uh, then, then people run off and make all sorts of uh, conclusions uh, based on that, um, that 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 really have uh, that are not predictive of the future, um, because you know there are no you can't test drive Model Three uh, if you come into our stores and want to buy a Model Three we invite you to buy a Model S and or X instead. We anti-sell the Model 3, um, but our, our, our net uh, reservations continues to climb week after week. Uh, no advertising, anti-selling, nothing to test drive, store doors every week. Got it. Thanks so much. All right. Yeah, and maybe worthwhile clarifying that under, under the present um, regime, the, the federal income and the tax credits on the car continue uh, even after we hit the 200,000 limit, and they continue for several quarters, but at a slightly lower depleting scale. So it's going to be beneficial for customers even beyond the 200,000 mark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I should perhaps touch again on you know, this whole notion of, you know, uh, it was all like over the years there's been all these sort of irritating articles that's like Tesla survives because of like government subsidies and tax credits driving crazy. Um, Here's what those fools don't realize. Uh, if Tesla is not alone in the car industry, that, that, that all those things would be material if we were the only car company in existence. We are not. There are many car companies. What matters is whether we have a relative advantage um, in, in, in the market. And in fact, the incentives uh, give us a relative disadvantage. This is... Uh, it, it, Tesla has succeeded in spite of the incentives, not because of them. Um, and but these, but but these incentives uh, have limited lifetime um, and then li- and, and limited scale. Like like for example, the federal tax credit, um, and then the uh, that that caps out at the 200k. There's the 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 carb credits, which the carb rules rules are relatively weak. Uh, you know, we, we can sell. There are some quarters where we can't even sell carb credits, and when we can, it's you know maybe 50 cents on the dollar or something like that. Um, whereas the other car companies um, get to fully absorb the 
the value of the clock credit. So um, that, that, for example, uh, gives GM roughly, uh, I counted, a seven to ten thousand dollar advantage uh, over Tesla for their the Chevy Bolt. Um, that, that that that's why, like, you see an article like why we're like, well, Jim appears to be losing ten thousand dollars a car on the Bolt. No, they're not. They're making it up in car cre- car credits. Um, but but they, they get to they get they get the the full retail value of the car credit, whereas we 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 get a the wholesale value when we're lucky. Um, but the car credits only are only effective at at a production rate of about. Twenty to thirty thousand vehicles a year. So, so that's why you'll see, mark my words, it's not going to be any any higher than that for the for the Chevy Volt. That's uh, you know, twenty-five, you know, on the order of twenty-five thousand units a year, or you know, one tenth of our initial production rate for the, the Model Three, or one twentieth of what Model Three will be next year. So, uh, Tesla's uh, it, 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 competitive advantage improves as the incentives go away. Um, this, is, this continues to be something that is not well understood. Um, and uh, and Progressive don't, you know, hopefully doesn't mention that the, the Nevada tax credits, which, uh, you know, with, with the, for the Gigafactory, it, it, it makes it sound like we got a $1.3 billion check from, from the state of Nevada. We, we did not. Um, the, those, those tax credits are made up, the vast majority of it is just sales and use tax abatement on equipment in the Gigafactory. Um, taxes that otherwise wouldn't have been there because there was just a bunch of rocks there before. And you don't get a lot of taxes from rocks. So uh, that's why it was essentially a no-lose proposition for the state. Um, and in order for us to actually... Um, Earn 1.3 billion dollars in tax credits for the gig factory. We have to uh, generate over the course of 20 years about 100 billion dollars in output from the gig factory. So, you know, it's worth about like 1%. Um, and I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, and we appreciate it, and that's nice. Uh, but this is obviously 1% is not the difference uh, between success and failure of, of the factory. Um, and, and, and but a lot of articles write, write, write it in the past tense. Tesla received 1.3 billion dollars. No, we haven't. We did not receive that. Um, if, if somebody wants to send us that, great, we'll take it. Uh, but uh, I, looking at the bank balance, don't see it there. Um, that's because it's just it's just sales and use tax payment over 20 years. Um, so, uh, but the, net, the, the, the the key takeaway is that is, is that is that Tesla's competitive advantage improves with scale, um, it doesn't get worse. Well, sigh of relief for those of you not on the West Coast of Elon saying that uh, he feels pretty good about the chances of all of us existing reservation holders uh, probably going to get a good shot at the full $7,500 tax credit. And I'll tell you, He's right about the tax credit thing, about them not giving it out, because it absolutely would get spun as FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, by Tesla's competitors and Tesla's enemies. They would, that would 100%, if they gave that figure out, I mean, you can, 
like there are threads on TMC and other places that you can piece it together. But if he were to officially give it out, of course it would be used against them. So I, I don't blame him at all. And I'll tell you, I think it's nice to hear Elon blow off some steam and discuss the things that bother him. I really do. I, it's stuff, again, I mentioned this earlier, this stuff you don't hear from other executives, namely humanity, that it's like, hey, I, you know, I'm upset about this or, or I messed that up. It's human. It's the, I, I, I appreciate that for me, Lon. And I, so, uh, again, that was a long clip. I hope you, hope you didn't mind. Uh, hope that wasn't too long and annoying to listen to, but I thought, I thought the whole thing was worth checking out. All right. Home stretch here. Three more clips to go. Here's John McNeil, head of service, uh, addressing the service needs for the fleet as the fleet grows and is due to grow very, very quickly here in the coming couple of years. I think uh, rather than thinking about store or service center locations, uh, we think about it in terms of uh, mobile units and lifts. Uh, And so we are building larger service centers over time that uh, that have more lifts. So our initial service centers, it might have had two or three lifts. Uh, And we're building uh, now service centers with 40 to to 60, uh, sometimes 80 lifts. Um, and, uh, and so there's a density within the service centers, but the mobile, uh, the mobile capability expands that, uh, ex- expands that quite greatly. So um, I think it, it, a lot of people do incorrect analysis to take uh, cars and service divided by locations uh, because, it, you know, the locations vary so widely. But that, that's essentially how we're thinking about capacity and planning capacity. And as Deepak mentioned earlier, our throughputs and efficiency are getting much better over time, and we'll continue to improve those. Uh, so... Uh, it's our goal to stay ahead of the installed base capacity, so we're providing great service. But really, the Model 3 has been designed for high reliability, and um, and as Elon has said many times, the best service is no service at all. Exactly. We, we're our aspiration would be uh, we make zero service revenue because the car never need, never breaks. Absolutely. We did that our service centers are sort of like the old Maytag repairman. Right. Yeah. So here's to hoping that our Model 3s never break, but. If they do, Tesla may be able to come to you, depending on where you live. If you're not close to a, a service facility, Tesla might be coming to you, and uh, and they might even they might be able to diagnose and address your problem remotely too. So that's cool. So uh, yeah, here's to here's to the three being extraordinarily reliable. Uh, a little little mini bombshell of sorts. Another n- interesting news nugget before right towards the end of the call too. Here's Elon saying that the Tesla minibus, you remember the thing that was going to be built off the Model X platform, that uh, it may no longer be a thing that Tesla needs to make. Here's Elon talking about it. Having given a bit more thought to, to it, I, I, I don't know if the bus thing, if that's actually going to be something that um, makes sense in a shared uh, fully autonomous environment. Uh, um, because it may, you know, if you have a share, if you have, if, if it costs very, like very little, like it costs less than a bus ticket to have uh, make use of a share autonomy fleet to go wherever you want, point to point. Well, why wouldn't you just use that? So I don't know. I don't know if the bus thing. It does. It does help with density, to some degree. Um, 
but then you, you know you could you could basically have something like a high, higher density model X or something like that that's got say 10, 10 or twelve seats in it. But would you want more than that? I don't know. Um, and when you start your tunnels in, you know, big round tunnels as you might know, yes. Um, then the density, urban density and traffic, I think, can be fully alleviated with tunnels. Um, yeah, it's, it's one like the, the tunnel thing, we, we talked about, a bit about that at TED. And um, interesting, like the commentary afterwards was, in terms of the, 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 the critics, or the critical commentary was, um, there's, there's, there's a group that thinks that the whole sort of uh, automated tunnel with electric skate thing, like, or basically like the, the tunnel thing, that this group that says it, it, it's obvious, and there's a group that says it's impossible. And I would like those two groups to meet. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like sort of like there's a, a group that is like the flat Earth Society and the Hollow Globe Society. I think they should meet too. Have a debate. <laughs> so I I just wonder if they ever even drew anything up for the minibus, or if it was purely at the idea stage, and Elon just mentioned it. You know, at one point, or I mean, because well, I mean, it was in part D of the secret master plan, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anyone else, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that Franz had a drawing of it, had a design of it in progress. It could have just come straight out of Elon's head and into that master plan, for all we knew. But it does appear that the minibus uh, will not be happening, and so that the current lineup looks like, of course, the S. The X, the 3, the Y, the semi-truck, the pickup truck, and then the next-generation Roadster on its way at some point as well. So that appears to be the... I mean, that's that's everything we know that the company is building. The minibus no longer... seemingly no longer part of the plan. Finally, the last clip. It's very short, very sweet. This is... Uh, this is like the opposite of the seven-minute clip I subjected you to a couple uh, a couple of minutes ago. But here's Elon on. He was just asked point blank, "When do you? When will you actively stop anti-selling the Model Three? When will you actually start trying to sell Model Three and get people to buy Model Threes?" Well, I don't know. Maybe later this year. Probably not for the next six to nine months. So. Despite that answer, I would not exactly expect a holiday season ad blitz from Tesla. Because uh, they'll still have plenty of a reservation backlog. And I also don't actually think they're talking about mainstream marketing here either, by the way. I think they're talking about the idea of people coming into the Tesla stores and the fact that when people do that now, the Model 3 is not discussed, it's not pushed. That, that, that the people that the Tesla employees are trying to get people to buy S's because that's a car that they have now and can sell you now. So it seems that is what Elon, I think that's what Elon's referring to when he means six to nine months. Like that's when it'll be okay for, for Tesla store employees to start uh, actively discussing Model 3 with customers. Of course, they'll by that time they'll be in the stores, they'll be 
outside the stores. There'll be customers rolling up in Model 3s. They'll be around by that point. All righty. That was was a lot of Elon Musk this week, but uh, I, I hope you enjoy the Elon Musk clip weeks. I sure do. It's a, it's a ton of work, these shows, because I, I, I got to listen to the whole thing, note the time codes, go back, pull the clip. It, you know, it's, it takes time, but I really think, uh, I know I like distilling all this information down because it makes it, it makes it easier to digest and take in and discuss. And, um, I enjoy the, the, the shows when they, when it's a lot of uh, clips. So I hope you do too. I'm going to be right back for you with a few uh, parting thoughts, the usual stuff, plus a, plus a Maggie update for you right after this. I want to start by uh, mentioning if you are in the market for Tesla accessories for yourself, uh, meaning your your person, like a Tesla lanyard or something for your Tesla vehicle, such as an LED, an internal, uh, rather the interior LED lighting kit. You can go to abstractocean.com, shop what they've got, and use the coupon code RTL Podcast at checkout. That's all one word: RTL Podcast at checkout to get twenty percent off of your order. Uh, if you Enjoy the show. Uh, you want to support my efforts here? I would sincerely appreciate it if you would take a look at my Patreon page. Uh, if you, if that's something that you might might consider doing, take a look at it. It's Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash Tesla Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. You can email me Tesla Podcast at gmail.com. If you are buying a Tesla. Get yourself $1,000 off of your vehicle by using the referral code JEFF2311. So the easiest way to do that is to put this short link into your web browser. Just type in ts.la slash JEFF, spelled J-E-F-F, JEFF2311. So ts.la slash JEFF2311. That's going to take you to a design studio where you can configure your SRX, and it's going to implement that $1,000 discount. Uh, Dave T does a wonderful weekly Tesla newsletter every Friday. I encourage you to sign up for that at teslaweekly.com. And I want to thank the Patreon producers. This is the uh, wonderful group of people who support my podcasting efforts at the $20 or higher level each month. They are Jeff Bartram, Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassioppo, ZL Klein, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, John Waltower, Scott Gillis, Michael Lucas, Alexi Heft, David Kittle, Lisa Kaz, Michael Oprey, Logan Willis, Matthew Parra, Michael Lester, John E. Ford, Robert Maracle, Kyle Stover, Vince Vaughn, Colby Perry, and John Lasher. Thank you all so much for your continued support. It really does mean the world to me. Uh, now, uh, I wanted to finish. Uh, oh, by the way, yeah, and uh, do subscribe to the show so that you're not just manually downloading it every week. It just makes things easier. Subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, or uh, the RSS feed is at the hosting site, which is teslapodcast.libsyn.com, uh, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. Uh, by the way, 
and you can get it in your Tesla too uh, via TuneIn. So this podcast is available in your Tesla vehicle. So uh, Maggie, I uh, let's see if I can if I can hold it together here. Um, this is Maggie's last show. She, uh, I, I've been, it's been on my mind for a little while and, uh, she can just barely, she really can't get around her degenerative neurological condition in her right rear hind leg is such that she, she can barely walk. She, she absolutely can't run. Uh, she can really not even go out on walks anymore because she basically just drags the foot. Even with, you should see the pictures. I have all this gear for her. You know, I've talked to you a lot about, I've told, mentioned a number of times, we do the physical therapy, the rehab um, with the underwater treadmill to try and keep the strength up. And um, these special boots that have a, they're, 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 they're booties, but they have an, uh, uh, this elastic well, it's like a it's like a band that goes up and wraps around the Achilles tendon, which is to help her pick up her feet when she when she walks rather than drag the feet. But she just drags and drags and just the shoes are we've trashed multiple pairs of shoes now. Uh, she, and then the other sort of big kind of thing that started to really tell me that it was time. Uh, there have been some, a number of incontinence episodes of, of both the number one and number two variety, uh, indoors. Um, and you know, it really just, I started to think, you know, what's, what kind of quality of life is she having? And, and, you know, not to make it about me because it's, you know, it's about her, but, you know, it's, it's been stressing me out a lot. I've, I've had some, uh, I've actually spent a lot of time at the doctor's office in the last two, three months. Uh, part of that has been, I've been stricken with unbelievable reactions to allergies this season. And I see an allergy, I I get treatment, but I've still been racked, just wrecked. Uh, but I've no, my doctor agrees that I've, I've got a lot of stress and a lot of that's Maggie and I don't blame her for that. That's not her fault. Um, but you know, it's just like, if she can't go out, she can't go out for walks. She can't, she can barely get around. She can't get up. Uh, I live in a place where there's stairs, a lot of stairs out the front door and out the back door to go down to relieve herself she can't get down those stairs by herself. She can't get up those stairs at all. Uh, and I just, you know, it was just at the point, you know, she's, she's past 10 and a half. She's 10 and I mean, her birthday's in August. So, you know, a little, a little, you know, 10 and a half basically. And boxers from, you know, everything I'd read, you know, it's, you know, the 10 to 10 to 12 range. Some people might get a little more, but most boxer owners I've met over the years, it does 10 to 12 does seem to be the range. And, uh, both of Maggie's litter mates, cause I've casually, I've kept in touch just a, like a yearly check-in with, with her breeder, the place I got, the woman I got her from, uh, the, 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 you know, certified breeders, uh, there was her once there were two other dogs in the litter that survived. There was actually a litter of five, two of them passed away right away. Uh, right at, right at 
right, like right at birth. And there, so there were three really that made it in the litter and all girls. And one was, uh, I think eight or nine. Uh, and then the other one was seven, had a, had a heart condition even worse than Maggie's. And that's the thing I'll tell you, Maggie's heart condition, it right. Unbelievably well, well controlled. If you need I'll tell you, if you live in the Bay Area, you live well, if you live in the city, if you live in San Francisco or near San Francisco, and your dog has a heart problem, please drop me a line and I will give you the name of of our veterinary cardiologist because the guy does did amazing work. Uh, kept her last cardiology checkup was in February, and he said we did the full battery, and he said if this were a normal dog. With a dog with a normal heart, meaning I would think this this looks great for a normal dog, let alone one with a with a heart condition, boxer cardiomyopathy. But it's, so it just got to the point where, you know, it's just between the the lack of mobility, you know, we when you can't you can't run, that's one thing. But then when you, you like we can't even go out for walks, and she can't get up or downstairs, and she slips. She 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 she's fallen over a lot when she squats to try and go to the bathroom because she just you know there's the neur- the neurology back there is is just all out of whack when she walks it's like the back end just flops around I mean it it's she slot if she's not on carpet I, I have hardwood floors and I've actually I put runners the carpet runners down everywhere because otherwise. She just has no grip whatsoever, and she just slips and falls over. So it's, it just became, it just got to the point where I, I really had to be honest with myself and say, you know, I don't think this is good for her or for me, which it's it's so hard. I've, I've never been through this before. Mag, Maggie is my first dog. You know, I had the family dog, but as far as like my dog, you know, this is my dog. Maggie's my first dog, and... uh and, you know, it's tough because, you know, I look in her eyes and you look in her eyes and the spirit's all there. Like, boy, it's, you look in her eyes and it's all there, but the body is just not willing. And so I made a consultation. I had an appointment, uh, today, in fact, as I record with the, with her longtime veterinarian and told her everything, gave her the whole story. Uh, I'd actually emailed her and then went in for the the face to face and she agreed yeah you know she that she thinks she thinks it's time as well based on all that information and uh, uh and even lately she's there's been I don't want to gross everybody out on the but there, there Maggie's had some uh let's just say some just bowel issues <laughs> so just you know why we I went went to a bland diet it seemed like it was getting better. Went back to a regular food. Boom! Right back to the bowel problem. So it's that's just only telling me that okay, yeah, I guess you know maybe the, it really is time. And so uh, I it is with with extreme, just un, unbelievable sadness that uh, a lot of soul searching and you know, searching my own heart and talking to my wife and talking to the, her longtime vet that, uh, made the decision to, to, uh, to put Maggie to sleep. And it's going to be, 
It's Friday night as I record this. And her last day will be on her last day will be on Monday. I'm gonna spend I want I'm gonna have we're gonna have one more weekend together where we just I just wanna be with her. I'm gonna take her I wanna take her to the beach. She loved the beach. We can't she can't run around, but I figure even when we would when we would in her younger days go to the beach, I'd roll down the window when we got close. And I could tell, I could see on her face she knew we were getting close because she could smell the salt in the air. So I wanna I wanna give her that. I wanna give her that one more time. And I figure we'll go, we'll go to, I'm going to go, I'm going to take her to my old neighborhood, the town. I used to live in another town here on the peninsula before I moved to San Francisco. When I first got Maggie, it was the first four or five years of her life I lived in, uh, down on the peninsula. I think we're going to go. And it was, and I lived right on the bay and I I would walk her. (laughs) Actually, Maggie had so much energy for most of her life that. I had to run her, but I, I, I would get on my bike. I would get on my bike and she would run while I biked. That's, and she still would bear, wouldn't get tired, but I, uh, it's a bay trail. It runs, it's, it's runs right along the water and it's beautiful and it's great. And I, so I think maybe we'll, we'll go there and again, cause we can't really walk and we certainly can't run that maybe we'll just find a spot and sit down and sit down together. And spend some time. And then I thought, for, I thought, uh, I I was, what I, I, I I tried to be a good dog owner and I always gave her really good high quality food and didn't feed her from the table. And I know, you know, there's certainly, you can do that in a very, very uh, healthy, good way. But she got like premium kibble. So I thought for her last, I thought I'd get her an In-N-Out cheeseburger for her last meal because she never got that. She never got to experience that, but she smelled it. I love In-N-Out. She's smelled In-N-Out a million times and never gotten to eat one. So I thought maybe you can just get it. You can just get it protein style, which is no bun, just wrapped in lettuce. So I figured, well, she doesn't need the bun. I'll just get one. Get her a double-double plain protein style, just two two burger patties and two slices of American cheese. And I'll give that to her. And then, uh, and then I'll just be with her. I'll just be with her. And they walk me through how it's going to be. And I don't want to, I won't talk about that. Uh, what, you know, that's to just, you know, they, they set my, the, the vet, she set my expectations of what's going to happen. And I, she, it's going to be totally peaceful for her. And and, uh, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking to her and I'm going to be the last thing she hears and the last thing she sees. Cause it's always been us. That dog was with me for the hardest time of my life, which was, which was, uh, when my first wife left me, uh, I was married along when I was, I was married young and she, uh, she cheated and left. And that's a long story that nobody cares about here on this show, but it doesn't, the point is, it was just me and Maggie for a long, long time, and that dog, that dog kept my head above water, emotionally speaking, in a dark time for me. And I'm, I can never repay her for that. I can never repay her for that. And she has been, 
she's such a bright light and we've done, you know, the best thing to come out of that divorce for me was that it inspired me to do something. And that something, I got to a point where I said, I have to do something. I can't just, I have to, I have to do something with my life here. And I, and I had seen an article in a local paper about pet assisted therapy And even though Maggie wasn't even two at the time, I thought, man, no way. She's still a puppy. She's not going to be calm enough for this. We went through all the classes and the certification and we passed and we did it. And Maggie, the boxer, I'm, I don't say, I'm just, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, I'm saying I'm so proud of her. She was a therapy dog for eight years, eight years. First at a, at an assisted, an adult assisted living facility where we would visit with the, 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 the residents there. And then, uh, then we pretty much started working exclusively with kids because my God, kids, they really love Maggie and Maggie adores children. If you don't know, boxers sort of inherently are great with kids. It's just a, you know, I'm not saying 100% of every boxer, but it's sort of a, it's a generally known trait of the breed. And Maggie certainly fits that. And so we started going to libraries and then we were later we were assigned to a school that that were everybody and what was cool about that school was we were going there for like four or five years so that it got to a point where the you know third, fourth, fifth year, everybody at school knew her. All the teachers, the kids, you know, they would move from one grade to the next, so we'd be walking down the halls and be like, Hey Maggie, Maggie. So you know, Maggie, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I could share her with the world that way. And I encourage anyone, if you have a dog who loves people and just has that great demeanor and you, you can carve out a little bit of time to go through the certification, the training and the certification. And then, you know, even if it's, even if you're volunteering once a month, it's a great thing through your SPCA that you can do with your dog that just brings, it makes you feel good. Your dog loves it. I mean, Maggie loves nothing. When, when the, when the kids at the school, some, you know, cause it was a one-on-one reading program called, uh, puppy dog tales or pause for tales were the sort of, um, but so it was a one-on-one thing. The kid, the parents would sign sign their kids up for it, and we would read with the same group of kids every semester one-on-one. But there would be times between kids where we would stop in the certain classrooms, with kindergarten, uh, first grade, or second grade room, at the at the invitation of the teachers, and the kids would mob Maggie, and she loved it. She loved it. She would dance around and hop around and lick all their faces, and they'd all be like, "Oh my gosh!" and they. It was the best thing. And I'm so proud of Maggie for doing that and being such a positive light and everything she did for me for our, for our 10 and a half years together. So I don't know, maybe I'll have more to say next tacked on to the end of next week's show after it's all, after it's done, after she's gone. But she has meant the absolute world to me. I know, you know, everybody's dog is special to them in a certain way. And Maggie, again, you know, because of that divorce and the, what I what I went through and what Maggie helped me through, 
And even, of course, well, well after that. I mean, Maggie has always been by my side. I've fallen asleep on the couch, cuddled up with that dog so many times I can't even count. And I'm just so grateful to her for her companionship. I'm so thankful. I'm so, so thankful. Maggie, I love you, Maggie. You're the best dog I could have ever asked for. So, um, I guess the last, if, if you want to hear, if you want to hear my whole, like really super personal story about Maggie, if, you know, I know this is a Tesla podcast, but this is the end, as you can tell of the, of this episode, not of the whole thing. I'll be back next week. Don't worry. But, uh, if you, I guess if you don't care, you've pressed stop by now. Uh, or if by the way, this is the end. If, if you don't care, please press stop. But if you do, if you want to hear the entire Maggie story, my friend Jared Petty, who was a colleague of mine at IGN until very recently when he took a job elsewhere, he has a podcast called Pockets Full of Soup, where it's, it's just him interviewing someone in his life, friends, family, about someone they're thankful for. And I brought Maggie on just a few months ago, actually, and talked, and I told the entire Maggie story about the divorce, about where I, you know, when I first met Maggie and I first saw her picture on the internet. And so if you're curious, just go on YouTube uh, and and then look for Pockets Full of Soup, and it's under my name. So if you... I, you could probably just type in pockets full of soup and you'll find the Ryan McCaffrey episode, but I guess you could also type in pockets full of soup, Ryan or Ryan McCaffrey. I don't know. You'll find it. You're all very intelligent people, but that's my, that's where I tell the entire Maggie, the boxer origin story at least and up to January or February or whenever I, whenever I recorded that with Jared. But anyway, um, that's it for this week. Uh, I will be back next week. Uh, thank you all so much for continuing to, 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 to talk Tesla with me, to hang out. Uh, we've still got a great Tesla year ahead of us with Model 3. Uh, there's a lot of fun to be had. And uh, I'm going to be here for you, and I hope you'll stick with me. And Maggie will always... She'll always be, uh, that dog will always be with me in spirit. I will never forget her. She was my, she was my co-host. She's the only, she's the only co-host I could ever have on this podcast. So, uh, happy electric motoring. Maggie, I hope, uh, up there, I hope up in heaven, there's a, there's a Tesla that you can ride in (laughs) and with the window down and your head hanging out of it and feel the wind. As you head towards, as you cruise towards the beach. (laughs) All right, folks. I'll see you next week.